please note that the views expressed on this program are those of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily those of Portsmouth Community Radio, its Board of Trustees, members, volunteers, or underwriters. Good evening and welcome to Spirit Radio. I am your host, Willie Hassel. Along with my co-host, Lynn Nickerson, we will take you on a journey, a journey into the unknown where the paranormal becomes the normal, a journey to a world cloaked in darkness where reality becomes a thin veil. So sit back, relax, and join us as we venture into the shadows, the darkness, the unknown, and back. It doesn't sound like it, but you are listening to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience. Uh, we uh, have a uh, guest tonight. We're supposed to have a guest tonight, uh, Adi Six Kill O'Clock, and we've been trying to get her on the phone, and uh, her line is busy. Uh, Adi, if by any chance you're, you're tuned in, uh, call us, please, 603-430-9722. So in the meantime... Yeah, well, Artie, you can also send us an email, too. We just uh, emailed you. Just in case, get just, a lot of bases covered. Just, <laughs> just let us know you're out there. Yeah. Well, maybe Willie, you can um, give her, read her introduction, and at least give the the folks at home an, an idea of what Artie is all about. And we, I can do we that. We could start without her, but hopefully we'll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, what, you're just going to go ahead and, write and start without you. So tonight, maybe on Spirit Radio, or maybe not. It is our pleasure to welcome Addie Sixkiller Clark to the show. Uh, Dr. Clark <clears throat> has degrees in history, English, and psychology. She has a background as a university professor and university administrator, as well as being a licensed therapist and psychologist. As a professor emeritus at Montana State University and former director for the for the Center for Bilingual and Multicultural Education. Dr. Clark, who is Cherokee Choctaw, has worked with indigenous people for most of her career. She is the author of three books in the field of ufology, Encounters with Star People, Untold Stories of American Indians, Sky People, Untold Stories of Alien Encounters in Mesoamerica, and her latest book is More Encounters with Star People, Urban American Indians Tell Their Stories. She is also the author of 12 children's books and the best-selling academic text, Sisters in the Blood, The Education of Women in Native America. And I would now say welcome, Addie, but (laughs) she's not here. Well, we'll give her another try on the phone in a second. But um, I found out about um, Artie Six Kill O'Clock from her books on Amazon, and I came across her very first one. They are so intriguing. What she does is she interviews um, American Indian people. She specifies that she refers to them as American Indians rather than Native Americans. So that's becoming the generally uh, accepted term politically speaking and her first book we 
Well, there were several things I wanted to, to highlight that these stories are fascinating. She she interviews people that have told their stories basically to no one because they're very concerned about ridicule. Um, there's there's so much new information in these stories. It's it's they're fantastic, really. Um, so I was going to mention tonight that I want to clarify that we're not going to contest the authenticity of these stories, but rather uh, the authenticity is a given. But this show is to be more about gaining knowledge about these various stories because there's quite a few different elements involved in their telling, uh, information that probably no one has heard, and some of them are very odd, but they should all be taken into consideration when trying to understand this UFO phenomenon and understand that it is really part of um, a very long history of Earth. It's not just something that is um, contemporary or just within the last, you know, last few decades. So, um, her very first book is hang on just a second here, is The Encounters with Star People. And I noticed a progression in the books that... Uh, are you going to try and call it, Willie? I just did. Oh, okay. I'm still busy. Okay. Um, there's a progression where the first encounters or encounters from the first book seem to be somewhat innocuous. Some of them are full of information, and they're, they're almost endearing. They're very interesting the way these different... Native Americans or American Indians have interacted with some of these ETs. Um, so the very first one, we were going to focus on her third book. She hasn't been on our show before, but since there's sort of a progression to the books, I wanted to start with the first book, and I selected one story that sort of highlights this example. This is Chapter 5, and the chapter is entitled... An Alien, a Spacecraft, and an Alaskan Blizzard. Now, this almost sounds unbelievable, and it's, it's quite cute. It's quite endearing. Um, I don't know exactly when it happened, but it was in Alaska, and an American Indian had a job as a plowman. And he is working his night shift, plowing the highway somewhere in Alaska. There is a blizzard going on. It happens to be about 70 degrees below zero, oh. and he's... I know. 70 degrees below zero. <laughs> it's coming. Not, not 70, Willie. Oh. Uh, that's Alaska. So he comes, uh, he's on the highway, and he comes up upon a small UFO that has landed on the highway. And there is one little ET out there, probably a gray, although it's not really clear the identity of this particular ET. But this ET is out there apparently gathering snow samples. Um, the the plowman surprises the UFO, those in the UFO, and they take off and they lead the, their comrade outside in the 70-degree weather. And the plowman stops the plow and he, I guess he just somehow thinks that he can't leave that poor being out there because it's 70 degrees below zero and he would mm. freeze to death. <laughs> I'm just going to have to give him a ride, I guess. So he decides, he invites him into his truck to warm up. And I guess he just thinks it, and the next thing he knows, the E.T. is sitting beside him. And the, the E.T. also, he uh, he sent the plowman the message, um, 
it's your fault that I'm cold out here. I'm freezing. <laughs> and that's, I guess, when he he invited him in. So the E.T. appears in his truck and yeah. sits down beside him. I just have to wonder, if he was out collecting snow samples, mm-hmm. did he bring the sample into the pickup truck with him? I'm not sure. Well, you'll have it, to ask. It, it would have we'll melted ask for later, sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, all right. We'll save that for later. <laughs> At the end of the story. Okay. <laughs> So along the way, the the plowman has about a 50-mile stretch that he's plowing. He goes up one side of the highway and then down the other. So um, while they're in the course of driving up the highway, they're kind of conversing telepathically. And the E.T. is telling him that they're a young crew and that they were just stopping their, their young explorers. And they are forbidden to have human contact um, and they're, I guess they could, they were allowed to get out of the, their craft, but they weren't supposed to interact with the humans. And, and also they weren't supposed to abandon their comrade there either. Um, he also talks about uh, his planet and that it's warmer on his planet. Um, he, he couldn't bear the extreme cold. He also was fascinated with the plowman's truck and how it operated, but he also quizzed him on... A little bit old-fashioned, I guess. It was a bit old-fashioned, yeah. but he was still intrigued. And he also quizzed him on why hadn't Earth scientists uh, developed or used electromagnetic propulsion. <laughs> Um, other than that, that there were a few awkward, silent moments. Um, but the plowman turns around and he comes back to the same spot with the original, um, the, the original spot where the UFO landed. And the next thing he knows, the ET evaporates before his eyes. He uh, appears in front of the UFO, which has landed in the highway again. And the little ET gives him a little bit of a salute, sort of a, a thanks for saving my life, but you still ticked me off anyway. <laughs> And and then they they speed off. Um, I think what we can take from this is that the, there there are races, or there is this race at least in particular, which appear to be the Greys, um, that are monitoring us, that are monitoring the Earth, and they're taking samples. I've I've heard before in other stories that they they take air samples, soil samples, and yeah, actually human tissue samples and so forth. But this ET was sampling the snow. But they had a very um, congenial interaction. It was sort of uh, um, innocuous and um, endearing. So that was kind of a, a sweet story to begin with, and that's kind of the, the the tone of most of this book. There's many fascinating stories in the first book, in all of them. And then we get to the second... In, sec- in general, are the, the grace supposed to be helpful, or are they more... Uh, well, it's coming to light that um, they're somewhat self-serving, although they, yeah. they don't seem to be outwardly outwardly aggressive and menacing. I mean, they're not warlike, right. and they're not really considered aggressive, but uh, they, they do use mind control, and they do force yeah. humans to um, – they subjugate them so that they can complete their experiments. And their experiments supposedly are for the betterment of all, for the betterment of humanity, to help their race as well as mm. ours. I mean, there's um there's a lot of a lot of different theories out there about what's going on. Yeah, I, well, I just I, I know some races are, you know, more concerned with us, and others are just you know, the opposite. And I wasn't quite sure which which way the grays were. I, I guess it. 
they're they're diff- they're good and bad, or different yes. factions, or different philosophies among just, just like among humans. Them. But yeah, just yeah. like humans. Yeah. Um, now that I lost my train of thought, thanks, Willie. Uh, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> Anytime. You, you did that well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was just one of the stories. Um, uh, the fo- stories in the following books do indicate that there have been different races that have been cited, and that there seem to be different purposes, and some of them are just kind of beyond belief. But as we progress to the second book, there is a um, chapter 14, and it's titled The Skymen of Kirigua. There we go. Kirigua, Kirigua, Guatemala. Oh, okay. Now, let yeah. me mention that um, Artie has traveled extensively. Um, she's a brilliant woman, and she's been doing, um, well, interviewing these various people, particularly American Indians, getting their stories. Now, the second one, which is uh, Untold Stories of Alien Encounters in Mesoamerica, she she met a lot of indigenous people down there, um, a, lo- a lot of Maya and they believe that uh, they are descendants of the sky people. They are descendants of the gods that came, that built the pyramids, that had these high civilizations that built the pyramids and designed them. They were not a people that were subjugated to them, but they were—they are their descendants. So this um, the sky men of Carig. Yeah, I can't say it now. <laughs> Kiragua, Guatemala. Um, Artie interviewed a man by the name of Mateo, and he says that um, often they see sky ships coming down. Uh, they they come when all of the tourists have left, and what they generally see are balls of light, and then the balls of light are seen to to like shape shift or metamorphose into people. Um, you know we're we're approaching the bottom of the hour, so I think I'll break yeah. it off there. Okay. Well, I was wondering if you want to finish that, or I'll go ahead and do the bottom of the hour. It's up to you. Yeah, we'll do the bottom of the hour, and then okay. we, we might be able to give her another call. Yeah, we'll give Addy uh, another try, and yeah, we'll so see if we can get a hold of. Her. Okay, so All we'll right, just break so for a moment. So don't yeah, go we'll away. We'll be back in just a minute, and don't go anywhere. And Supernatural Magazine, one of the UK's top paranormal magazines, provides support to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. It is the magazine's goal to bring every aspect of supernatural news and research from around the world under one roof to create a universal platform for all those interested in the supernatural. More information is available at supernaturalmagazine.com. And you are listening to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience on WSCA 106.1 FM, and we will be right back after this short break. (laughs) 
And you are tuned to WSCA 106.1 FM in Portsmouth West End. And uh, you're listening to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. Um, So we were talking about uh, Mayan pyramids, and in particular those that are found in uh, Curagua, Guatemala. And Artie had been interviewing a man by the name of Mateo, and I believe that he was Mayan. But anyway, he was saying the, talking about the cultural beliefs of his people, and he said that many locals still continue to believe that the city of Curagua was built by the men from the sky who came and stayed. And he said they still come to visit when the tourists are gone, and he said that they look like balls of light uh, when they come close to the ground, and then they metamorphose into a human form. And he said the people in the area have even heard chants. And the chants, oddly enough, mimic the chants of the elders. And that's chants, C-H-A-N-T-S, as in chanting. Also, too, um, the Maya believe that, as I mentioned, that they are direct descendants of these sky gods, and they are not an inferior race uh, that was subjugated to the sky gods. And the elders also still hold some of the secrets, and even the stone art found in the area reflects a lot of astronomical knowledge. So, um, Mateo goes on to say that many elders told of the beginning, that in the beginning the Maya came from the stars. They believed that the universe originated with the Pleiades, but they never said they were from the Pleiades like some writers claim. Um, then he says, I believe the sky people and the Maya are the same. We are descendants of the space travelers who came to Earth and built these great cities. And last but not least, he mentions, were you going to say something? And I was just going to say cities uh, that were built, what, thousands of years ago. That thousands we, of years We probably ago. couldn't build now with, with what supposedly was available at the time. That's right, these huge gargantuan stones. What do, what do you, how do you suppose they were constructed? Any idea? I, no, I have no idea. Well, I've got one oh, idea, which is right. kind of a sort of a digression from what we're just talking about, but um, there's evidence that they would chant, and they would, oh, uh, with vibration, change the density of the stone, and they could levitate it, and they could move it into place. Yeah, um, um, what's that called? Audio levitation, is it? Um, oh, what's, I don't what's, know. What's the that, term? that sounds really good, though, Willie. <laughs> well, I, I'll put it this way, then. Well, that is uh, something that's known as audio levitation. <laughs> I'll make it sound like I know I know what I'm talking about. Um, well, let me, let me conclude this, then. Um, so... That that seems to be also to a, a pretty nice innocuous story that the, there are sky gods that still come down and they still visit and they're still interested in Earth activities. But then now, uh, as we look at her third book, and the name of her third book is More Encounters with Star People, Urban American Indians Tell Their Stories. Um, Again, a plethora of really interesting information that I've never heard before. Um, it, it appears that with the third book, there's kind of a, a trend that um, sort of the 
sort the, of to the darker side. Huh? Yeah, yeah, there's a there's more of a trend toward menace that yeah. uh, that the encounters become more disturbing. That it seems like there there are races that prevalently are interacting with humans, and that it's not really positive. <clears throat> now, there's an incredible chapter that I think um, kind of delineates this idea. It's chapter 16, found on page 133 of her third book. It's titled, My Daughter Is Not Mine. And it's a story about uh, Mary. She, she uses uh, pseudonyms in all of these. But this story is she already attended a conference in Phoenix, and she was talking with this woman by the name of Mary. And Mary was a bit distraught and um, already as a counselor. So she was talking to her about what the problem was. And this woman is telling her that she longed for a child and she simply couldn't get pregnant, and then she found herself pregnant. And her husband died in a car crash uh, when she was about three months pregnant. So it, fortunately, she had had the child. Um, but then she, she began being contacted by UFOs, and she felt that she had been told that the, the child that she had was not her own. And she found that very difficult to deal with, and she didn't want to believe it. And she said, the next thing I know, now she'd been visited several times, but, <clears throat> excuse me, she said, the next thing I know, I'm on board a spacecraft, and I don't know how I got there. And Artie asks her, and what about your daughter? And she says, she's with me, but they're telling me she doesn't belong to me. And Artie says, well, who's telling you? And she says, I don't know. They're saying she belongs to them. I remember screaming at the top of my lungs at the voices in my head. So she goes on to say that these aliens knew I wanted a child and that they would they would give her a child, they would impregnate her, but that she would have to give the child up. Uh, she says, the aliens, these star people, or whatever you want to call them, said that they knew how much I wanted a child, so they gave me one but only to keep while she was a child. When she became a woman, she was to go with them. And Artie asked her, well, how old is she? She's, and she, the mother replies, Mary says, she's 14. I'm going to lose her in three more years. They want to take her back when she's 17. So I, the woman's very upset, and Artie really doesn't quite know how to deal with it, and she suggests that she um, goes to a counselor to talk to them, and, and Mary is thinking, you don't believe me, and Artie's saying, no, I, I think you need someone to talk to. I need, think you need a friend to confide in. So Artie keeps in touch with this woman, and then this woman comes up with almost a, a, a scary program, a scary plan, and she's saying, um, they've told me that they're seeding another planet, and they're seeding the planet with women, and what they're doing is impregnating women and taking them to this other world. And she and goes... this other world was going to be only women, right? Yeah. Yeah. Without any men. No yeah. And they only take women... Um, they'll take the grandmothers, the daughters, the mothers, but they won't take any of the males. Mm. And she said, um, women will only populate this planet. They will take care of of procreation without the men, we will develop a society, a world free of war and hatred. So, Artie visits her one more time, 
And the woman, um, I, I failed to mention that she was a little bit on the heavy side. And the next time Artie sees her, she has oh, lost yeah. 50 pounds. Yeah. And Artie said, well, are you feeling okay? And she says, I feel terrific. She says, I've been on this diet. I've given up meat. And I'm living basically off of fruit and uh, vegetables. Both me and my daughter are. And she says, and they've made me an offer that they're going to allow me to go with my daughter. And everybody's thinking, whoa, (laughs) is this really happening? Yeah. And and Artie mentions, well, what about your house? And she says, well, I've already taken care of that. I've given it to a charity that helps young Indian girls. They'll take possession of it in two months. And Artie Hmm. says, two months? Are you leaving in two months? She says, well, I'm not sure. I only know that we're supposed to be ready in two months. And no, you can't come to see me off. (laughs) (laughs) So Artie continues with, uh, I continued to stay in touch with Mary over the next two months. And after that, her phone was no longer in service. So Marty and, I'm um, sorry, Artie ends the story with uh, a little bit of a, an addendum. And she says, I have not seen Mary since that weekend. When I returned to Phoenix six months later, another woman sat at her desk. When I, when I inquired about Mary, I was told that she had moved away. She did not leave a forwarding address. For months, I couldn't get a hold of her, and I couldn't get her out of my mind. Every time the phone rang, I expected to hear a voice on the other end, but that call never came. I have repeatedly asked people who knew her if they have ever heard from her. I even went to Pearl's, I'm not sure who that was, ancestral village, but no one had seen her. When I look at the stars at night, I think of Mary, Cherie, who is her daughter, on a world, and Pearl, who was the grandmother, as a matter yeah, of fact. Yeah, I was just thinking that, yeah, yeah, the grandmother. So it was the daughter, the grandmother, and the mother um, in a world inhabited by women. That's when I try to imagine a world without men. The truth is, I like and respect the men in my world and could not imagine being happy without them in my life. So that is kind of a mind-blowing story this woman disappears with her daughter and with her grandmother and they're told that they can go to this planet they're being taken to this Mm -hmm. planet where they can help populate it and develop it culturally and they can only live on fruits and vegetables because there's no meat there that's that's the scary part of it what there's no meat just fruits and vegetables. I know, yeah. I know. You're a meat and potato guy, Will. That's right. But <laughs> but no, it is, is kind of a, a, a scary story. But, I mean, just, this is not your daughter. We're going to take her. You can have her till she's 17, but yeah. then we're going to take her away from you. That's very heartbreaking. It, and then... <clears throat> it is uh, scary in that way. But on the other hand, who knows? Maybe, you know, this other world... And they they may have said, well, this, well, this is the best thing that ever could have happened to us, you know? Well... Maybe, but maybe I'm kind of <laughs> doubting it. But I'm I'm trying to put a good spin on it, you know. Um, there is the element. Um, Mary had asked, "Well, why no men?" And the ETs were saying they're just too violent. We want to build a world without violence. So I don't know why they couldn't, you know, temper the testosterone or whatever it is that might tend toward aggressive behavior. But I mean, why completely cut them out of the picture? That's kind of. I, I agree. Yeah, well, I, I kind of agree we're, with Artie, but... We're just going to have to find another planet for ourselves. That's right. Yeah. But they did say that there are other planets out there that are very similar to Earth, and apparently yeah. this place they're taking them to is, but there there isn't any meat. But this woman disappears. I mean, she yeah. knew Artie very well, and then 
She, mm. the, the mother, the grandmother, the daughter, they all disappear. Yeah, yeah. And no one knows where they are. So I guess that would lead you to believe that uh, Well, it, it, was, it was true. High you know? likelihood mm-hmm. that uh, the story came true. Okay. So I, I'm not saying that that's a menacing story, but... Well, it, it is. It, it is. It, it is. And it isn't, I guess. Um, yeah, it's not like being experimented upon. However, there was hybridization going on that they were mm. going to take the daughter anyway. And yeah. it's kind of sad. That's a scary it part is. of it. Yeah, we're taking your daughter. That's yeah. part of the indication yeah. that some of this is moving into the dark side. Mm. Um, did you Did you want to talk about Chapter 14, The Watcher in Death Valley? I guess we can talk some about The Watcher. Because uh, that is one of them where um, one of the the American Indians come out and say they really fear for the human race because they don't feel that the interactions are really benevolent. Yeah. Uh, she was, uh, Addie was on her way to uh, Las Vegas, I guess it was, uh, for yeah. a Star Trek conference, yeah, for, I believe. Yeah, Star Trek convention. And she decided instead of flying, she was going to take her camper and uh, drive and drive out and uh, stop in some different places, Monument Valley being one of them. So she was camping in Monument Valley where she went out uh, from her camper, just out, kind of out into the uh, bushes to look at the stars. And that's when she uh, came across this uh, this man out in the desert. And he was... Uh, he was an older gentleman. He yeah, was kind a, of roaming around in the dark, around the rocks. Yeah, and Yeah, he was, uh, he was an American Indian, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know he, he kind of kind of startled her, obviously, but uh, she, you know, actually got to talking to him and started to trust him, and and uh, it turned out actually he was homeless guy, and he, yeah. he was living in uh, national parks, a- campgrounds that he camp could grounds. stay for two he, weeks at a time and yeah, then move then on he'd to have another to go one, go to another one, then come back again. But, yeah, so uh, so it kind of like lends to a. Um, an unbelievability there, but what he has to say to her is uh, pretty poignant. He called himself a watcher. A watcher, right? yeah. And uh, he had seen. Well, he was he was abducted he, himself. Right? Yes, is he was, and he yeah. was keeping score of all yep. that he was witnessing. How he was witnessing all this stuff and not being detected himself is never really explained. Yeah, I know. Because I, they I always seem to that. know if there's somebody else around. I wondered that a lot myself. How how did he manage yeah. to? Uh, but he did write down places and names, or maybe yeah. it was in retrospect of people that disappeared, but he did say that he had seen stuff. Yeah. Correct? Yeah, he was, um, well, his, uh, his first encounter, he was, oh, I forgot what it was, uh, where he, he had been with uh, five friends of his, was it? They were out camping in mm-hmm. the desert, and I, I think it was the same same camp, I'm not sure. And he said they were all... Abducted, abducted, and they they did experiments on them. And what was it? One of them never did return. One of them didn't return. Yeah, but the, oh, I think one. there were a few that hadn't returned. But he yeah. had recorded at least one. Yeah. So so anyway, after his uh, abduction, he was just kind of he was watching, and he seen saw many uh, people um, out in the desert being abducted, and most of them, he said, I believe he said, were uh, single female, just like she was, and so mm-hmm. that's why he he's, he said he saw her sitting on the rock, and he was afraid for her, 
So he uh, basically wanted to come over and, uh, you know, and save her. And he'd been keeping a, a record of all the people that he had seen being abducted from uh, from those campgrounds. And do, do you remember where, where it went from there? <laughs> I don't, as a matter of fact, it's been a little while since I read that one. But the point was, uh, people were disappearing. Yeah, people were disappearing. And and no one knew, had any idea that these people had been just evaporated off the face of the earth. And he warned, don't go out by yourself, don't go out into the desert by yourself. Yeah, not even this close to the campground, he says, yeah. Because he's kept track and people don't come back, mm. or, or they come back and they're uh, they're not quite the same, or they don't remember what yeah, happened most, to yeah, them. Yeah, a lot of them don't remember, and some of them, yeah, some of them just a few of them just disappeared and never came back. Um, there was a, another chapter too, shortly after that, called "Masters of Deceit," and this is a story about the woman's name is Drew. She's an unmarried teacher, and she claims that she is contacted three or four times per year, and she said, <coughs> "Excuse me, that." They disguised their appearance, and she was of the opinion that those that visited her were not benevolent creatures. Uh, They'd do various things that were deceitful. They'd trick their abductees into a false sense of compassion, and they would hide their true purpose. Um, She said that they were adept. She was adept at disguising her own thoughts, so she tried not to let them know what she was thinking, but it's like they all operate as as one mind. Um, yeah, when they when they communicate by reading reading your mind and, and by telepathy, it must be awful hard to not let them know what you're thinking. She said sometimes she would sing, or just yeah, uh, you know, she tried just, to deflect kinda, her own yeah, focus. Just, I just guess just kind of just kind of talk. Yeah, and confuse them. She that, said. Yeah, she yeah. did say that she talked out loud. It kind of confused them, and it it, it uh, disrupted their thought patterns or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she said that she discovered that their true physical appearance equated with giant insect-like creatures rather than human beings. That they stood about eight feet tall, and they had a, a pungent odor about them, and but they. They did. They they at first uh, presented themselves as human, right? they did. and then shapeshifted. That's yeah. right, and that they um, performed experiments on her, and they continued to come and see her. Um, she kind of went along with the plan, but she was one of the few humans that didn't get um, that that wasn't put into a trance. She somehow could fight it. Um. She would see a lot of different human captives on the ship, and she never learned how they achieved their status or their roles, but she's seen human males cooperating and working with the alien visitors. Um, Also, she indicated that they they simply were not benevolent. She said the the resistors, there were some that simply did not want to be experimented on. She said, they get the worst treatment and they get the most pain. She says, so therefore I do see these creatures as malevolent. On the other hand, I've seen them perform surgeries and heal those that are compliant, but I always get the idea that they do it just to see if they can, and like you, I might find a fix. Um, They might fix... It's like fixing a broken toy is what she's saying. And she says, in my opinion, they are vindictive, despite the fact that they show no emotion. 
Um, and if they do help them out, it's more of a self-serving purpose just to see if they can, they can do it. It's not so much to alleviate pain or to help somebody out. It's more like to, to perform an experiment and see if they can do it. And she said, um, they can make an abductees feel that their healings are from God's hands when it's no more than advanced medical science. They are the masters of deceit and that they have no respect for human life. And she's, doesn't seem to be able to break away from these um, these abductions or these visitations, but she is able to kind of maintain her head about it. She hasn't gone crazy yet. She also says that um, what they do is um, they harvest sperm and they impregnate the human fem- females, and it's not because they're a dying race, but because they create a hybrid species for seeding other planets. Again, this is another story, and it's the same tale that they're seeding other planets. And they also create clones. The hybrids and the clones are used for seeding. Some of the clones are placed on Earth to interact with the human population. They also use adrenal glands from humans, but I've yet to discover their use. But I, in another story, it's indicated that the adrenals help them um, slowing down the age factor. And she says they colonize other worlds with hybrids and clones. So it's kind of dark, and that's kind of the the direction that this uh, this book kind yeah, of takes yeah, as the, far the as third book, yeah. assessing what the ETs are doing. Mm. Of course, it doesn't cover all the races, but in, in the first two books it was a bit more lighthearted, and now it seems that we are being visited by... Some some races that, that aren't entirely benevolent toward the human race. And my question is, uh, thinking about this, uh, there's supposed to be a galactic federation of, of various races that do have sort of a benevolent intent, not just toward humans and Mother Earth, but toward the universe. Whatever happens on Earth impacts the rest of the universe. And they don't want to see this solar system system obliterated. Um, so, the 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 welfare of the human race is part of that equation. Um, but what I don't understand is why are some of these greys allowed to allowed to break this um, this shield that's supposedly created by the the Galactic Federation? Why are some of these more negative entities allowed to break through? So why is this still happening? Maybe there's something good to be said about the cloning. I don't know. They're playing God, but then yeah. Yeah. makes you wonder how did we get here, you know? So, uh, but These open do. a lot of questions. <laughs> a lot of questions. Do you have a lot of answers? A lot of questions. A lot of questions. <laughs> I do have one answer. I know. Time's up. So that is uh, Spirit Radio, The Paranormal Experience, and Craig Mosier with The Graveyard Shift is coming right up. Well, I hope you found these um, stories kind of interesting because they are thought-provoking and does make you wonder if people on Earth were seated, especially uh, hearing the stories about the Maya So thank you all for listening, and have a wonderful evening and a great weekend. Catch you next week.